everyone. It's a Keychains podcast. I'm Ryan. Uh, Steve, unfortunately, can't join us this week. He is traveling. Uh, it's Easter weekend as we're recording, so he's not available. I tried to convince him to just hook his Bluetooth up in the car, but you know he just wasn't having that. His wife wanted to listen to you know podcasts and stuff, so it it failed as an idea. So it's just me, but it's not just me. I have with me here. Emma Handy, magic player extraordinaire. Uh, she's been playing magic since 2003, 2004. She's been writing for Star City Games for about three years and has been a part of their commentary team at live events since January. Now, I know what you're thinking. OK, well, that's a lot of magic talk. Why are we listening to a magic person? Well, Emma, you recently were playing at uh, Emerald City Comic Con. You were playing some Keyforge. Yeah, absolutely. I um I went down to the uh, vault tour event that they were having there at Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, I my girlfriend and I have actually kind of gotten bitten by the uh, by the Keyforge bug pretty shortly after it came out, and we have we're in the group of people that have spent an embarrassing amount uh, buying decks, you know, buying like a case of them online, getting them from local stores, going to whatever. Um, we'll say competitive events that we can just to, you, we just can't get enough of it. <laughs> so I, you know, it's funny, the whole buying tons of decks things, it seems silly because with, with Keyforge, it's a game designed where you spend 10 bucks, you're done. Maybe you need some tokens too. So you, you buy the starter, or you buy extra tokens, whatever, but 10 bucks and you're pretty much done. But like, I'm in that same boat and I know Steve's in that same boat where we've just bought deck after deck after deck after deck. And I'm interested to get your take, but my take on it is that I want to find a deck that is like perfectly encapsulating of me and my personality and my play style. Like differently in Magic, you can build a deck that encapsulates you. Um, but in Keyforge, you have to just keep hunting it down. Is that is that similar to why you keep buying them or is it just a general <laughs> poor impulse control? Yeah, it's it's actually pretty similar to that. It's a little bit of A, a little bit of B, right? You don't end up in de as deep in uh, card games as I found myself without at least a little bit of AI. I don't want to say I have a huge gambling problem, but there's, <laughs> you know, there, there are, there are some ways there are uh, similar symptoms and um, it's a lot of fun to just crack open what are effectively $10 booster packs and hope you got something cool. You know, I still have yet, we are, we're almost a hundred decks deep or something at this point, And we still haven't gotten a time traveler deck, which is kind of absurd, I think, <laughs> but uh, you know, we're still chasing it down. You only got one event, so I have faith. Uh, although I doubt they're going to reprint them, so your your window of opportunity is slowly closing. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a huge surge on the uh, on the market. You're going to see the Amazon prices go skyrocketing for these boxes as we get closer. I think. Blurg. It's a weird, yeah, and it's got a weird collectible thing because they so they said they're going to stop printing Call of the Archons when the uh, the next set comes out, but that doesn't mean they can't ever print it. And the way that they do. Uh, they can reprint some of the cards, but not necessarily all of the cards. Kind of gives it this weird collector, anti-collector situation, you know? Yeah, it's really tough. And I, I think there's a point where most cards will end up being safe because most games in general are going to suffer from power creep, right? As the game right. progresses, that's how you incentivize people to buy new cards. So there's a point where even if Time Traveler doesn't end up getting reprinted, if it's not in the new set, if the decks that Time Traveler is in are weaker than decks from future expansions, then that's probably going to hurt Time Traveler a bit because you you can't do anything with individual cards in this game. It's all in con the context of the deck that they came in. 
Yeah, definitely. And and so you mentioned power creep, and it's really interesting because uh, take magic for example. Um, if they print a set that's really really powerful, like War is looking really powerful at the moment. But if they print a, a set that's really powerful, they have that standard rotation. So it's not such a big deal. They're not going to necessarily lose sales on the next set if the next set is weaker because of a previous powerful set. But with Keyforge, if Age of Ascension, the upcoming set, is weaker in terms of power than Call of the Archons, then there's less incentive for people to buy it because there is no rotation. You can still use all of your old decks at all of the events alongside people trying to use these newer, theoretically weaker um, weaker decks, and they could really shoot themselves in the foot as far as sales. So they're, it seems like they're incentivized to try to make sure that their power level is equitable across all sets. They don't lose out on potential sales. Yeah, and that's why it's very rare for you to see card games tone down the power of their cards as the game progresses. I mean, most decks have some busted things in the first set or two while they're still figuring out design mechanics to use, like, uh, Pokemon. There was, like, Bill is obviously a very busted card. Uh, Magic had Ancestral Recall. You could you'd do this for a while, but... <laughs> Once they've ironed out those kinks, the overall power level of sets tends to kind of rise across the board. And that's just because card company or card game companies realize that in order for people to get excited about the new cards, they have to be good cards, right? No one is going to look at some card that's just pushing unplayable or is pretty average in terms of what they're used to and go, you know what? I am excited to spend money on this. That's, that's just not how it works. They're not going to print like, you know, a 2-2 two, two for 2, the classic Magic Grizzly Bears, and be like, hey guys, who wants this spoiler? Who wants to show this one out to their, uh, their Twitter followers? Yeah, exactly. There's even spots where, like, Keyforge, no one's going to be particularly excited by a creature with a fine-ish ability, 2 or 3 power. They're going to go, well, yeah, I've I've seen this before. <laughs> so right. like, why why would I buy something out of the new set, though? What am I hoping to be in my deck? Yeah, like Urchin is a great example of that. He's the, he, It's just a one-power creature that steals one when it comes into play. It's a workhorse. It does just so much for the shadow, any deck that it's, that it's in, the Shadows component. Um, but it's not exciting. It's not a pretty card. It's not flashy. It just, it just sits down at its computer desk and runs its TPS reports and makes sure that everything's going okay. Yeah, exactly. But not exciting. Um, so you, you definitely speak from a place of knowledge, not only in Magic, but Pokemon. Um, what other games besides Magic Pokemon uh, have you played? Like, where was your start in the board gaming gaming industry? Uh, so the first game that I ever played was Pokemon. I um, I just got the cards because I thought they were... I mean, I like Pokemon. I was, <clears throat> I was a 90s kid, you know, so they just kind of worked. But um, my mom got me a starter deck, and I liked it. And I liked Staryu and Starmie, the Pokemon, because I liked the TV show and liked Misty, because uh, that's what it was like <laughs> growing up as a girl in the 90s. You just kind of gravitated towards the token woman in every cast. And um, I traded my holographic first edition Machamp card for a Staryu and Starmie and got made fun of by my friends for it because those were just commons and I uh, decided I was just going to get better at the game than them. <laughs> and i uh, got way better at pokemon than any of my friends well playing well is the best revenge is that the the phrase i think right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's awesome um what have you what have you played since then what's your yeah let's go what's your gaming history let's uh <laughs> let's explore that <laughs> one of one of the things that i had on like my 
magic player slide on the SCG tours that had qualified for Nats or better in seven different card games. And that was um, Nats and Pokemon, Nats and Yu-Gi-Oh, um, Worlds in the Full Metal Alchemist trading card game at Gen Con, Nats in the Naruto card game, uh, one of the invitational events for the Spoils. Gosh, I'm having a really hard time remembering all of them because they were mostly a long time ago and kind of like smaller card games, right? It's it's hard to be successful. <laughs> well, a lot of them are just I, I went to a store that was big enough to just hold qualifiers for things and I would just kind of be present and they'd go, Hey, do you want to learn this thing? And I'd go, Well, yeah, you know, I did well in this EDH league. Why wouldn't I just want to enter uh oh, World of Warcraft? I qualified for their nationals that way, just kind of stumbling into it and being handed a deck and it turned out I opened a good pool and knew how to play card games at least a little bit and stumbled into like whatever the cut was to do it, to make it. That's awesome. The, uh, so it sounds like um, skills are pretty transferable, at least for you, um, maybe more so than others, uh, as far as, you know, from one game to another. Um, so what have you found you know, like from a similar perspective? What sort of things um, about your magic experience have transferred or even any of those other card games have transferred into your experiences with Keyforge? So one of the most interesting things I think about Keyforge is it actually is one of the first games of its of this sort of genre that I've played before where the resource system is upended. In most games, be it Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic, uh, any of them, you draw one or two cards a turn and it's a pretty static uh, amount of resource growth as the game progresses. Whereas in Keyforge, that's not the case. You actually get more resources based on how you plan out your turns, how you sequence your faction usage, etc. And sometimes the resources aren't even that important themselves, or the resource that's important isn't card quantity. So be, having to balance, one, what, how many cards you want to be trying to draw or resources you want to generate based on how many cards you play versus the quality of the cards that you're playing, you know, when you have like one or two really good cards that you think you should be playing instead of the, the faction that you have three or four of in your hand versus when you're supposed to just not play any cards from your hand and just like reap with three critters and pass turn. I, I think that's incredibly interesting. And that's something that I honestly is kind of the opposite of what you asked. It's very different, <laughs> but incredibly refreshing. There are a lot of things that still translate where, board positioning is still similar to other games where the theories of or oh god maybe this is a little bit too deep are you familiar with the um I, th I think it's actually more economic theory than card theory but are you familiar with what the tragedy of commons is uh i know that i've heard that phrase before um but i can't recall anything about it and you don't have to worry about being too deep we're uh, we're fine with that Okay, so basically the idea, uh, if, if memory serves correctly, is that the more total resources they are, there are, the less any of them matter. Right, okay. Oh, it, the less that any individual resource matters. That is. So that's to say, like, if you have eight creatures and your opponent has six, you're going to feel like you're, the board's pretty much at parity, right? Even though you have two more than your opponent. But the sure. more that you take away one creature from each side, the more ahead you feel. So, like, it's easy to say eight to six is someone's technically ahead, but it's pretty close. 
But then when you get down to like three to five, it feels like the five creature person's fairly ahead. And then if it's two creatures to no creatures, the two creature person is firmly ahead. Right. That makes sense. So that's something that is just as true in Keyforge as it is in Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh or something like that. Yeah. I've caught myself uh, recently. I had a little bit of a level up moment where we were... um... We were playing a game, and I only had maybe four creatures out on the table, but they were all one house, and my opponent had six creatures, and I felt like I was like just being overwhelmed with their board. Uh, and then I realized they had only had two creatures for each house, so it really wasn't six to four. It was four to two in yes. my favor, which is such a cool thing to to just have a re- those realizations in the middle of games. And translated from that, it w- it's a weird translation from Magic, because normally you don't have to worry about that. And it's not like in Magic, it's not like you clay- declare, okay, well, I'm playing a blue-red deck, and I'm going to declare blue this turn, and now I can only tap islands and cast blue spells and attack with blue creatures. So very different, but very, very cool. Yeah, I, I actually love that aspect of it. It definitely forces you to recognize if you value trying to win the game or putting yourself in a better position to win the game higher at the time. And that's just an incredible dynamic to me. A lot of games, those types of decisions are more subtle. So something just being so upfront about it is honestly kind of refreshing. Yeah, not having to worry about resources is huge. I mean, you're no stranger to getting mana screwed or mana flooded, and it's nice to not have to worry about that so much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are times where, especially if you're playing one of the more combo-centric decks, you can end up in a different kind of feeling screwed almost, where if you're playing, you know, some sort of um, reverse time library access combo deck, uh, reverse time is the card that swaps your graveyard and your library, and then library access is when you play a card, draw a card until end of turn, and so there are a bunch of logo decks that try to just set up a turn where... They play library access and then reverse time and then go from there to just draw the library access again and then draw their deck and so on. If you end up with too many combo pieces in your hand early, your whole deck can just fall apart because you'll end up with effectively four and three card hands instead of a six card hand. Right, right. I think uh, I have a deck with reverse time, library access, but uh, even more than library access, I like Arise with reverse time. Yeah. It's pretty great, especially turn one if you manage to flip that with a phase shift. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, my opponent was not a fan. (laughs) What a jerk. Your opponent should be happy for you doing all this wild stuff. I know, right? Like, these are talk about moments. You can talk about the villain. I'll be the villain in the story. That's fine. But we still have a story. (laughs) Exactly. Every story needs a good old-fashioned villain. And you know what? True to form, I think I actually did lose that game. Oh, yeah, of course. That's that's how that stuff always goes, where someone is just like... well, I don't really know how I'm ever going to win this. And then 40 minutes later, the other person has their head in their hands and they're just like, I messed up somewhere. I had to have messed up somewhere. There's no way that that my deck lost that game. I lost that game somewhere. What just happened? Yep. It turned into a Rocky movie. (laughs) Unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, So we mentioned that you work with uh, Star City Games or for Star City Games. Um, So you've been doing writing, you've been doing coverage recently. What are some of your proudest, uh, favorite, coolest moments in your your time with Star City Games? Um, So I started playing at their events in like 2012, 2013, something like that. Here, we'll just go through. Uh, Proudest moment in card games was probably a match that I beat a semi-local friend uh, named Samir Black. 
at an Atlanta event in January of 2016. 2016 was the first year that I really started grinding and going to events every weekend to every other weekend. And I'd had a rough first couple of weeks where I was kind of really starting to like doubt myself and go, God, you know, why am I doing this? Maybe I'm worse than I thought I was. But I this single match is one where we're deep in the tournament. We're both still live for top eight and we end up in a game where it's like game three and a bunch of people are watching and I end up having a really rough start and he has what is effectively the nut start of the deck at the time. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, Emma, you can't cry in front of all these people. This is just another crappy weekend, but we're just gonna, we're gonna do our best here and we're gonna play as tight as possible. And despite me being really behind, I end up winning the game from like three life or something and setting up this turn like five turns in advance where I end up finally winning as soon as I draw a specific card that I hadn't drawn yet and just win on the spot. And it was just, it was a thing where like two people literally like clapped and uh, so and it was just like, holy spit and just walks away. <laughs> and so that was, that was probably my favorite or proudest card game moment. Uh, proudest content moment. I really liked an article I wrote after a certain card got banned. Um, when Aetherworks Marvel got banned, I had a pretty, what I thought was a pretty good article about um, format health and the effects that bans have on formats that got a lot of positive attention. Mm -hmm. And favorite for commentary was probably just knowing that I got the gig. I just couldn't do anything but cry. It's a, uh, all I've really wanted out of magic. So it felt so incredible to finally reach my goal. It's kind of the dream for, for any competitive player, I imagine is to be able to not just produce content and do the writing. Cause I mean, that's, that's impressive enough. You know, someone thinks your opinion, thinks highly enough of your opinion that they're willing to publish it out there and let people read it. And people are willing to read it. Um, but then being able to put you on camera and live, you know, without having editors or anything else, it, share those opinions is just a whole nother level and it, it's really impressive it's really cool and i've seen your coverage and you do a great job thank you so much i i put a lot of work into it and i i gotta be honest i'm carried at least a little bit by uh the man i work with matthias hunt he's been doing this a long time and he's just been an incredible mentor figure to me as far as you know after each round going all right so how did you feel about that here's this interaction, here's maybe a better way to handle that, or here's something, I thought this was great, don't change that, etc. I have I have greatly improved since my first show, and I've only done, you know, five of them at this point. Right. Uh, yeah, I've, I've loved the whole SCG. Uh, you know, I'll be at work, and uh, they, for some reason, let us listen to YouTube, but they don't let us go on Keyforge sites. So uh, I'll have YouTube open up on the side, and I'll catch up with whatever the most recent SCG events were. The commentaries are just always great. I mean, between you know, Matthias, yourself, uh, of course, Patrick and Cedric, when they're doing commentary together, is is always a treasure. Um, you know, everyone over there does such a great job on on commentary that it's it's great that you're able to just fit right in and pull your own weight like that. Yeah, I, I you know, obviously, I'm going to sound like a a show here, but there's a, uh, there, there's a reason I ended up going out for SCG when I first decided to start grinding towards events and going for commentary. Yeah, no, absolutely. So with that, that idea of, uh, like commentary in mind and competitive play and everything, when you went to ECCC, uh, it seemed like you probably do really well at that event. Um, especially since you are, you know, familiar with tournaments, familiar with high level play and everything else. How, 
did you kind of transfer some of that skill into preparing for ECCC or did you even prepare? I think I saw a, a tweet uh, that you threw out with a little sheet where you wrote down the different stats um, for the deck. And I should say for the audience, the format was triple sealed. So you opened up three decks, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you opened up three decks and then you picked whatever one you wanted to play for the entire event. Yeah. So what Jadine and I did, uh, my girlfriend's name is Jadine, um, we would have our decks and we would randomly just pick decks up and kind of jam them against one another to get a basic feel for how different factions played against one another and try to not just get stuck in the idea of how the good decks played against one another. Because whenever you pick a, a you know, Archon deck, you, generally all three of the factions are good. And so we tried to work on identifying the signals that someone's faction is a little bit weaker than the others, because we knew that people would be getting to choose between three decks, which one is good, but it was unlikely that their deck is going to have three good factions. So we would always try to identify, like, all right, how can we tell if their Brobnar faction is weak? What kind of cards are they going to be playing? And when are they just going to be prioritizing, effectively just discarding those cards instead of actually playing them and so forth? Um, so we did that, and another thing that we did is we actually went through and we stack-ranked all of the commons and uncommons by how good we thought they were. So it would be easier to look at, say, we open two decks with Dis, for example. We, we, we think that Control the Weak is the best common, I believe, or was it uncommon? I think it's uncommon, now that I say that. <laughs> but we just thought Control the Week is the best not rare discard by a pretty wide margin. Control the Week is a card where you get an amber for playing it. It's an action. You choose a house on your opponent's Archon card, and they have to choose that one the following turn. Uh, we just think that's the best one by a wide, wide margin. And then we would also pick what like the worst ones were, the things that we thought are effectively close to unplayable or not very player playable. You know, your Bad Pennies, your Dexters, Bad Pennies just a one power shadow creature that when it dies, put it back in your hand. And without, if you have a deck for it, then it's fine. Things where you sacrifice cards, but for the most part, it just clogs up your hand. Right. Um, so we did that, which took a few hours. And then that's most of it. And we came up with a system to kind of help us figure out without actually having to play with decks, how good their average game would be. Okay. So this goes to, there's a sheet that I wrote out and I can send it to you if uh, you have like show notes or something where you might want to publish it. I'm not sure. But um, each deck, we would put how many creatures were in the deck. We would put how much free amber it could produce. This is either from things like Dust Pixie, which is a just one power untamed creature that when you play it, you get two amber or actions that give you amber when you play them and so on. We would count up, if you went through your entire deck, How just play your cards and don't actually do anything on the table. How, how close to three keys are you going to get? Gotcha. And then the next thing is that we would look at how many creatures a deck had in order to kind of say, all right, well, if none of the decks have power cards, that's a pretty good tiebreaker. And it also just lets you know how much you actually can just play a heads-up game of Keyforge, right? Where even if your creatures aren't very good, the nice thing about creatures is they're the most versatile cards in the game by virtue of the fact that they can be both offensive and generating amber and defensive by hurting your opponent's amber-producing creatures. So the first step in my chart was write out the th divide my paper into thirds, write the three deck names, 
then the next column would divide those in half and show the free amber and the free creatures. Gotcha. Or how many creatures. And then the next one would have three, like one for each faction. And then it would say how many creatures were in each faction. Because that would kind of give you an idea of how much am I actually going to be able to play with each faction. One of my decks, for example, had 16 creatures, which is a good number. You want your deck to be roughly half creatures. Maybe a little bit less, but anything less than like 12, Jadine and I just thought wasn't particularly playable. Because you'll just get got by other people playing creatures and generating amber before you could get through your deck. Exactly. We, uh, just a quick aside here in the middle of it, we kind of uh, spout this idea of Keyforge being a foot race. And so you've got speed, your, your deck needs to have speed to be able to get to the finish line before your opponent. But unlike a normal foot race, you're allowed to cheat and trip your opponent. And that's the stumble component to Keyforge. So you've got speed and you've got stumble. And within the speed portion, you've got creatures and then you've got just cards in general that create ember. And you can get away with less of one if you have a, a, an equivalent um replacement within the other so if you have a low creature count you really need a ton of bonus ember or cards that generate multiple ember stuff like that and if you have a lot of creatures then you can get away with having fewer cards that generate the bonus ember on the other side so it sounds like that's right up the alley of what you guys were looking at yeah for the most part that's pretty in line with it yeah so i'm sorry i jumped in there so you were you did creature count total and by faction and uh, you were talking about how the faction would determine which houses you might be able to use in that exactly a lot of the time, we ended up deciding that because it was a longer event, right? It was eight rounds, if memory serves, or maybe it was six, I think. Hmm. I, I don't remember for sure, but I think they usually... I want to say that I heard that other Vault Tours were eight rounds, so it wouldn't surprise me if that one was as well. Yeah, I, I think it was eight, but I could be wrong. Anyway, that being said, we, we wanted to lean on consistency rather than... You know, if we have a deck with some absurd combo, we wanted to make sure the rest of the deck could actually function because it's ultimately they were best of one rounds. Right. Even if you have all these decks and the like. So if we had a faction that was just very close to unplayable, you know, only like one to three creatures, we were we really needed a good reason to want to play that deck. Uh, and then I had a column called the plus column, and these were the reasons that you want to play the deck. These were like the power cards in the deck. So I would write out like if it had a bunch of control the weeks or something like that. Like I think one of my decks had two control the weeks, and I was really excited about that and so on. Uh, and then I would have a minus column after that, which was a bunch of the things that are probably just going to get discarded most of the time. And obviously you want to avoid, for the most part, trying to have as many minuses as possible because those are just dead cards. And if consistency is the goal, then that can't really be part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's nice that you can discard the cards, but better than discarding a card is using a card. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of the thing, you know, we talked about resources before in that the resources in this game are just how many cards you have. And those don't count as a card the turn that you discard them. Eventually, you're going to have six cards in hand because that's how the game works, unless certain card effects get involved. But outside of that, you're going to have the same number of resources all the time in your hand. So what that means is that the resource that matters the most is how much you've either developed onto the table or how much amber you have. And if those cards are not 
doing either of those things for you, then they are effectively not a resource and are taking your own card is taking a resource away from you. And that's not okay. Right. They're almost like a, a negative resource in a way, because instead of drawing that card, you could have drawn something more useful for your, your situation and everything. And now you not only did you not draw that other card, you can't draw an additional card until you get rid of this one. Exactly. Yeah, I guess it's more for things where you like a bait and switch that you're trying to hold on to for multiple turns. Um, bait and switch uh, is pretty sure everyone in the community knows bait and switch at this point. But just in case you don't, uh, it's a shadows card that when you play it, you steal one ember from your opponent and then you repeat the process until you have uh, equal or more ember than they do. I think it's equal. Yeah, it's equal or more. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, if, if they have more amber, then you repeat this process. Right. Thank you. Um, so it's a very situational card in that, you know, they need to have more ember than you, and it's tempting to hold on to it uh, the longer and longer to try to get as much out of it as possible. But the whole time you're hanging on to it, it's depriving you of a different card that could have, you know, upped your game plan throughout that time. So sometimes it's better to just get the bait and switch and play it for two, you know, a, a two ember swing than it is to hold on to it, hoping for that, you know, six ember, 10 ember, huge bomb turn. Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite decks that to play with that I have is sort of a combo deck that uses um, library access, which we talked about before. When you play a card, draw a card, it's logos. Um, phase shift, which lets you play a not logos card this turn. And then the card Evacuation, which is a discard that returns all creatures to their owner's hands. So you library access, play three or four Logos creatures, and then draw a bunch of cards, and then play Phase Shift and draw a card, and then Evacuation and pick all the creatures up, and then play out all your Logos creatures again. And you basically end your turn with like half your deck in your hand, and your opponent doesn't have any creatures on the battlefield. That's awesome. That's so rude. (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but it does take a lot of cards in your hand to do that. So right. part of why I like the deck is in something that I think it's particularly skill intensive is knowing when you should only go for it half cocked, so to say, mm-hmm. and just say, you know what, I don't have evacuation or hysteria, excuse me. So I'm just going to draw a handful of cards and do that. And if I hit it, I hit it. And if not, I guess I just played a bunch of stuff or other times when... Uh, it's better to go ahead and play Hysteria because the deck also has a Life Ward in it, which is a um, dis artifact uh, that has the abil- the Omni ability, sacrifice it, your opponent can't play creatures next turn. So there's even a point sometimes where you Hysteria, crack Life Ward, play a couple of dis creatures and pass turn, and then you know, well you don't know, but you can be pretty <laughs> sure you're going to get to start your next turn with those dis creatures. Yeah, absolutely. The so speaking of uh, of the different decks you have and everything, do you have a favorite deck at this point? Um, that one's pretty. That's the one that I like playing the most, just because it isn't super super powerful, but it is incredibly intricate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in my mind, there are two kinds of quote unquote good keyforge decks. Uh, there are the decks that are have so many reasonable to good cards that they're great at just playing a heads up game of keyforge. Uh, the way that <laughs> to steal a, uh, a magicism, the way that Richard Garfield intended. <laughs> um, and then there are the, the combo decks slash synergy decks. And I tend to like the combo decks because I like planning things out several turns in advance. And one of the things Keyforge has going for it is you can pretty reliably see all the cards in your deck eventually. Yep. It's very similar to like Control Warrior in Hearthstone like that. I think I would say the deck I just described is my single favorite one, but I don't think that it is my best one. Um, my best one is 
honestly a deck that I got in one of the sealed events at Emerald City Comic Con, oh. where it has like two hunting witches, um, two of the um, God, I'm so awful with card names. Uh, okay, so hunting witch is a two power untamed creature. Whenever you play a creature, get an amber. Mm-hmm. Two of a of an untamed card that is an action and gives you an amber and returns up to three creatures to their owner's hands. Oh, um, is that, I always, so there's two, there's, uh, and I always mix up which one is which there's nocturnal maneuvers. And then there's, I think that's the one it is. And cause nocturnal I, maneuvers is tap exhaust three ah, creatures. Damn it. So it's the other one. That's what I always get mixed up. Uh, yeah. I know exactly what card you're talking about and I cannot remember the name of it either. <laughs> yeah. But the idea is you target your own cards, right? So you use like uh, Dust Pixie, which we've talked about before. Uh, it has Flaxia, which is if you have more creatures than your opponent. It's a cre- four-power creature. Um, when it comes into play, if you have more creatures than your opponent, you you either... I think you just get two Amber, not steal two. I believe so. Then it also has um, three Niffle Apes and two of the card that is return all Niffles from your... Gr- Maybe it's only Niffle Apes, but Niffle creatures from your graveyard and battlefield to your hand uh call the pack i believe yeah call the pack so it just has all these stupid hunting witch things that it's able to do that's awesome and i've had like two games where i just started the you know second turn or something and got 14 amber and was like well if they don't have shadows they just lose the game on the spot (laughs) that's just brutal i think uh so far my favorite untamed is um I also have a deck with a hunting witch, like you mentioned. And then I have a deck with uh, three ancient bears and a bear flute. Um, ancient bear, yeah. five power creature that has assault too. So it deals two damage before it deals any other damage. Um, kind of like first strike in a way, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then bear flute is an artifact. It's an untamed artifact. You play it. Uh, and then at a later turn, you exhaust it. You can either heal an ancient bear in play to full uh take all its damage off of it or if there are no ancient bears in play you can go through your discard pile in your deck and take all of your ancient bears and put them into your hand um so you got to be a little careful because the way it's worded if your opponent has an ancient bear out then you heal that one instead of going through and you still try to heal a bear even if it doesn't have any damage so there can't be any bears in the field for you to be able to use the uh, the bear the, the whistle or the whistle <laughs> the flute to uh, to get more bears that's what I'm gonna call it now now it's it's bear whistle from now on <laughs> <laughs> um that's great that's great do you have any so what are as you mentioned control the week is really powerful but uh you know what are some of your favorite cards what are some of the coolest cards even if they're not necessarily great which ones have like great uh, art flavor they just like they just pop they got that that je ne sais quoi <laughs> I uh so. I, this is going to sound awful, but Control the Week is probably my favorite card. Um, that's just because it's something that is way better. It rewards players who plan ahead, and it rewards players who are good at reading their opponents, and that's something that I kind of just pride myself in. I play a lot of magic decks that reward people who know when to go, when the coast is clear, even when it doesn't look like it's clear. Um, so Control the Week is something that at, at the risk of sounding pretty full of myself, is pretty frequently you gain an amber time walk. Yep. It's like very, very good at identifying what my opponent either only has like one card in their hand of or isn't doing enough with. Um, but as far as a 
cooler answer. <laughs> um, oh God, I feel awful, but my next answer is probably Restoring Guntas, which is a one power creature in Dis where you choose one of your opponent's factions and they can't pick it. Good old stringy boy. Yeah, yeah. The One of the first games JD and I ever played, she was beating me really bad on the battlefield and she's just like, yeah, I don't know. I guess your deck's just worse than mine. <laughs> Sorry, etc. And I just waited until like the last possible moment for something and just played like gateway to disc, restring gun to succubus, succubus. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like she realized that like it had been planned and she looked at her hand that was like five of the same faction or something in one of another. And she was literally just dead. Yep. I, uh, I did the same thing to a buddy of mine. I got a restaurant, uh, restaurant gun out and he had uh, five of one house in his hand and he just kept playing that one card every turn that, that wasn't from the house that he was locked out of until he finally drew into that house. And he's like, so I don't know what to do now. I literally can't do anything. You've gotten rid of everything from this house, from the other houses on the board. So I literally only have that house on the board, that house in my hand. I can't draw more cards. Do I just concede? <laughs> like I, I think so. I think, I mean, we don't have to, but oh. <laughs> if you got something better to do. Oh, Champions Challenge. I love Champion. I think that's what it's called. Robnar. Yeah, you each pick a creature and then they go fight. Uh, you don't, your opponent doesn't get to pick. Right. It is the two strongest creatures fight. Um, I I have won, I won a lot of, so in the Emerald City Comic Con event, um, my deck that I ended up picking was pretty weird in that it was it was not good at generating amber in fair ways, but it was very good at producing bursts of like 10 or 12 amber okay. eventually. And one of the ways was a card called Loot the Bodies that um, until it's an action for Brobnar whenever, until end of turn, whenever one of your opponent's creatures dies, you get an amber. And then there's a card called Pile of Skulls, which is a Brobnar... Uh, artifact that's a static whenever a creature an opponent controls dies during your turn a friendly creature captures an amber and so i would set up these combo turns where you know in sealed when there are fewer combo decks cards like shadow self are incredible oh yeah so you wait until your opponent plays like a shadow self or something that's actually pretty awful at combat and then you play some brobnar creature and loot the bodies a couple of times and you haven't been killing anything, so you play Champions Challenge and get, like, 12 Amber and <laughs> capture all of their Amber and kill their Shadow Self. That is so rude. It's it's really, it was, it's a really cool card, though, that sets up some really interesting sequences with combat, whereas a lot of times it feels like Brobnar is just kind of, well, this is my seven power thing, so let's get to it. Yeah, it's just a seven power vanilla thing. Maybe it had it comes into play. Brobner is such a weird house, and I'm interested to see what they do with them in the next set. Uh, but before we move uh, on to another topic or question or anything, I did have a sub question with your favorite cards and creatures in Keyforge. Uh, so we know that you're a huge fan of Pokemon. Um, so let's say uh, I have uh, Restringidus on the board, and you have Bulbasaur on your side, and then we play Champions Challenge. How's that going to turn out? Oh, no. Uh, well, I hope Bulbasaur has more than one power. Bulbasaur is very strong and doing his best. So I'm going to say Bulbasaur would win that. Probably. Unless <laughs> unless I was smart enough to call whatever house Bulbasaur would be. I guess untamed, probably. Bulbasaur would be untamed. Look, you played Champion's Challenge. 
you brought the fight here. <laughs> You're not getting out of this one. That's fair. That's great. So uh, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the your experience at ECCC. Um, do you think we're going to be seeing you at other fall tours in the future? Um, that's a little tough. Uh, I didn't love the staff at the <laughs> event. Um, I not not all the staff was bad or anything. I had a couple of very negative experiences that were really frustrating. Just little things like it, there were a couple times where it felt like I was being held to much more to things like tournament rules. Like you can't use dice, for example, at any um, of the events. And there were things like, I was like, Hey, do you want to high roll to see who goes first? And a judge would step in and be like, you can't do that. <laughs> and then I was playing at someone where they were playing one of those library access, um, fate, not phase shift, um, time reversal. The yeah. of reverse time. Reverse time. Thank you. Yep. Um, combo decks and i identified pretty early they were doing comboy things and i only had two keys but i couldn't tell what combo it was yet and because they just weren't developing to the battlefield at all and kept just archiving cards and so i didn't want to commit more resources to the battlefield in case it was like a loot the bodies combo or something mm-hmm. and so i just don't kill them because i know how the tiebreaker stuff works oh, okay. and the tiebreaker rules are basically whoever's turn it is when time is called the other person gets to finish a turn as well. And then at the end of that, whoever has more keys wins. And then if it's a tie for how many keys they have, or both players forge up to one key if they can. And then if that still doesn't work, whoever has more Amber wins and so on. Yeah. But from what I can tell, my opponent has no keys and this judge has been a stickler about us. Or let me phrase about me physically representing things where I, for example, one of my creatures got stunned once, and instead of putting a stun counter on it, I just turned the card upside down, because that's how Jadine and I play tested. Then the the guy ends up doing the reverse time library access thing, and then at the end of the turn, like they called time while he's doing this, and I tr- was asked him if he. The guy asked me if he can shortcut. I say yes. The judge goes, "No, that's not allowed in competitive or whatever play it was." So instead, I have to sit there for like 10 minutes <laughs> and just watch this guy play all of his Logos cards six times, because obviously the rule the rule of sixes says you can't do it more than that, but you do want to generate as much Amber as possible. So I'm, I, I want to be clear, I'm not faulting the guy for that. Right. But I go, okay, and I point at his Archon, which has like a million Amber, it's like 30 Amber or something, and no keys, and mine with keys and like a couple Amber and I just go, so here's how this works, right? And the guy pulls out his phone, like his phone from behind his deck box, unlocks it, and apparently was keeping track of keys on his phone. Oh, that! I had just forgotten about a couple of keys that he, or like a key that he got way earlier, oh, basically. Yeah. And because of that key, at the during tiebreak rules, you forge a key if you can or whatever, right? Which put him up to the same number of keys and a million more amber, right? But if I had known that he had that I wasn't able to win during tie breaks, I would have played differently. Yeah. And when I looked at the judge and was like, "Well, but he wasn't physically representing them," and the judge was just like, 
well yeah that's not cool i i get the stun thing because it's possible to have something exhausted and stunned and if you're trying to represent it upside down and then you need to exhaust it that can get a little weird so i i get that but like that's such a weird double standard to not then be like dude you should like where are your keys you have no keys like care what you've got on your phone <laughs> yeah and i put my hand on the table and i'm just like look i have like five whatever it was brobnar I think I like I have like five creatures of a faction and just wasn't playing for several turns because of this. It changed my decisions a lot. This is that was against the rules and you were like getting upset at me for trying to and the judge just said, I need you to fill out the slip. Yeah, like if you you're not allowed to use dice and for and that's just a decision they made, right, wrong, or indifferent. But like you're also required to physically have the keys, not digitally have the keys. So a phone is by the same principles, by not having a stun token, by not using dice. That's, man, I'm sorry. And and I want to be clear, he had to like (laughs) unlock his phone to even show me the keys. And so there was just, I don't know, it went to time. It was a long game. It it was really frustrating that the judge handled it that way. And then the next day I had a judge come up and apologize for the situation. And I go, oh, well, I appreciate that. And he goes, yeah, that guy shouldn't have brought that kind of deck to this tournament. And I'm like, wait a second. I, I think you're missing the point and <laughs> the the guy the, the judge just like could not get it through his head that I didn't care that this dude brought a combo deck to what was effectively a win a box or, or not a win a box but you win t- the way that they work is you win tickets and get stuff off the prize wall and sure. um yeah I was just like I I don't care if that's what he wants like I not to like be on my high horse or whatever, like I, I play cards for a living like I just recognize this is how some people like to play cards <laughs> I don't care he can have his fun if there's prizes on the line and there's no restrictions as to what you should play, like this isn't, this isn't commander. This is an EDH where there are like social contract rules involved. Like you, you play what you want to play, man. Like that's, you don't have to worry about pulling punches. It's, there's you're, you paid here just as much as anyone else. Have fun the way you want to have fun. Yeah. And there are like a couple of other like little things that weren't as bad. And that situation just rubbed me so poorly. And then like to have another judge come up and just be like, yeah, the problem I saw there is the deck that guy brought. I was like, you know, actually, I just don't think anyone here gets it, and I don't really want to be a part of it anymore. But I, <laughs> all of that being said, I imagine the, the staff would be different at a different event because right. they're all so far away from each other. Uh, so if I were... If I were within a couple of hours of one, I would probably go, but I don't see myself, like, flying to one. Gotcha. Well, and, you know, to be fair, your bread and butter is with magic, not so much Keyforge. Yet, maybe. Yet. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) part of what I like about Keyforge is it is, at this point at least, just kind of my fun competitive outlet and not my competitive competitive outlet, and I I would like to to keep it that way, if I'm being honest. (laughs) That seems reasonable. Um, so last thing before we start to close out, uh, you'd mentioned that one of your favorite articles was about the Etherworks Marvel ban. There's a lot of talk floating around in the Keyforge community about library access and Nepenthe Seed. Uh, library access we've talked about. Nepenthe Seed is an untamed artifact uh, that says Omni. You, I'm paraphrasing here, but you can basically return a card from your discard pile to your hand. And the idea is that you library access, you use Nepenthe Seed to get the library access back. You play library access again, and you just kind of go through what you described where they kind of 
or storm in magic basically where they go through and play a huge turn generate a ton of ember and then cheat out a couple keys and win in one shot um even if they don't forge the keys in one shot they can still just loop through their deck over and over again really easily um a lot of people have talked about banning one or both of those cards or how that would affect uh with your experience with the ethworks marvel and, and how that article went um you know what would your take be as far as bannings if they should shouldn't what impacts that would have that kind of thing um, I think it would be great if for um, Archon events, if instead of banning those cards, if they were maybe to look into eroding them, um, that was something that other games have done in the past that I think is a better fix in some cases than just outright banning them. I, and sometimes the errata effectively bans it because it just makes it a completely different card. We saw that with Warsong Commander in Hearthstone when Grim Patron was too good, and it went from give your creatures haste to your haste creatures get more power, which is just a totally different card. <laughs> but there are also cases where if you made library access, something to the effect of like, whenever you play a Logos creature, draw a card, right. then it would be a very different card. Or if you turned uh, the artifact to not be Omni, or if it specifically had to return an untamed card to your hand, or if library access could only draw a certain number of cards. It's just like, you may not draw more than like four cards this way. Right. I think or something. Do you think about it? So you mentioned uh, for the Archon format, do you think that doing it by format, so like sealed the cards just as it's read, um, which I, I like that idea because then you don't have to worry about new players getting hosed a little bit by errata. Um, is, is that something you think would, maybe help is having it by format or would that make it too tricky? Yeah. So the new player thing you brought up was actually kind of, this is all spitballing. We had not talked about this previous to the show, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit, but <laughs> that's, that's kind of where my first thought goes. And you saw this in magic in, um, 2012 ish when Stoneforge mystic got banned. Oh, right. Uh, there were certain, the pre-cons that had Stoneforge mystic, you could play the pre-cons as is, but otherwise Stoneforge Mystic was banned. And that was because they didn't want new players to kind of get left out in the cold if they come in with this deck they just bought and then get told they can't play with this brand new deck. That would be awful. And Similarly, if, you, if a new player enters this sealed tournament where you're more likely to see a new player because they probably don't have these absurd busto decks that they want to be able to play with or something, or they're less likely to, then... It, it, it's better for cards to function as printed and you're way, 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 way less likely to have those stupid library access decks in sealed. And there's even maybe a point where if it happens once every 2000 players in sealed, I don't even know if that's even a bad thing. That just means they opened a good deck. Well, cause you not only, not only do they have to get lucky enough to have that deck, you've also got the odds of that person even being able to identify they're on that deck. And then even if they can identify that they're on that deck and got that deck, they have to know how the heck to play that deck. So you've, you've got a lot of, you know, percentages that are getting stacked up there that lead to probably a very infrequent situation of someone actually pulling a library access combo off and sealed. Yeah, exactly. And another thing is the Archon format in general tends to reward more entrenched players and draw more entrenched players. So it's far more likely that that subgroup is going to know or be able to keep up with things like functional erratas and so forth. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Cause if you're, if you're going to be going onto the competitive scene, you're going to be reading articles, you're going to be watching videos, you're going to be absorbing content and you're very quickly. And one of the first things you're probably going to do is look at erratas and FAQs uh, just to make sure you understand the rules properly, or you should be doing that if you're not. Uh, and then you'll run face first into in an Archon event, the following rules apply. I actually, I think that's probably, that's probably the best, um, that's probably the best solution to, uh, you know, the, the fear of library access combos is is doing it for Archons like that or, or any format where you're bringing uh, the deck to it, not just Archon specifically. So that's really interesting. I like that. I like that a lot. It has my seal of approval. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I think that we're, we're getting to time here. So I want to wrap things up. Um, Emma, where can people find you? Oh, geez. Uh, the Internet. <laughs> oh, the so, Internet. Um, all right, so my Twitter and Twitch accounts are the same. I stream Magic the Gathering on Twitch a decent amount, and I also have um, some... I, I do some other games for fun, but I guess we can touch on that more in a second. Um, that is at E-M underscore T-E-E-G-E-E. It's like a double entendre with Mad... Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I got the joke. I liked it. Oh, thank you. Uh, I have a... Um, patreon where you can get extra content signed stuff and so forth um i write articles for starcitygames.com have been there since mid 2016 coming up on my three-year anniversary doing stuff for them uh, i do commentary on the scg tour obviously i am going i am doing some videos with star city games i don't know how what your turnaround time on these is it's about a week but Okay, so I, I imagine I've already done them then, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and then you can also find my fingerprints on the Keyforge videos by Tolarian Community College, who is in the discussion for the largest Magic the Gathering YouTube account. He did a lot, uh, or a couple of introduction to Keyforge slash here are some things that Magic players get stuck on that aren't actually good in Keyforge types of videos and those were a lot of fun i can't tell you how many times i have started a turn uh trying to draw a card in keyforge yeah yeah that's a really big and then one I, I go play commander and at the end of my turn i go to untap all my creatures <laughs> <laughs> so bad <laughs> Uh, so another thing we like to do is uh, with that idea of a rising tide raises all ships, we want to plug some other content creators um, just in general that maybe you should be checking out if you aren't already. Um, so do you have any content creators you'd like to plug, Emma? Yeah, so I already mentioned Tolarian Community College. Uh, the professor is great. He actually approached me back in 2017 to start working together, and he has been nothing but incredible and uplifting and a positive force in my life. So seriously, it is it is painful how genuine he is the first time we met and got drinks at an event together i was just like all right hey you know you can i, I get that you act this way online but you can just and he goes what are you talking about Emma? this is just the person i am and it turned out that that's just who he is and it's he's he's great um but uh as far as someone else uh my one of my better friends um autumn burchett they recently won the mythic championship in cleveland which is a very big deal in magic world and they write articles for Star City Games as well. We travel together a good bit in spite of the fact that they are from London. And I <laughs> they competed at like the Mythic Championship recently in Magic, which was a big deal. And I can, just cannot say enough nice things about them. They are so genuine and just love playing games. They, they invent games with Magic cards where they go, yeah, 
you know, I like magic a lot, but what if we just played this with these, where these these cards mean this and so on, and it's so much fun. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emma. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on here. Um, I also want to do one shout out of my own. I recently had to go on a business trip to New York City. Uh, I met up with one of the hosts of Bouncing Death Park, Codameron, and he showed me around a little bit, took me to his LGS. Uh, we played a um, Archon event there. Everyone was great. It was at the Uncommons in uh, Washington Park. Washington Square or something like that. I'm not from New York, so you'll have to forgive me for getting names of things wrong. Um, but he was a great guy. Uh, if you haven't checked out their podcast, definitely do it. Um, I learned so much listening to them. They do a great job with their their in-depth analysis of stuff. So we're going to close things out. Uh, Keychains Pod on Facebook, Twitter, email, YouTube, Twitch. When we eventually get around to streaming things, that's where we'll be. Also Keychains Podcast on Instagram because they were annoying and wouldn't let us use our normal handle. Um, so I think that's going to wrap things up. Emma, once more, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And um, any closing words? Uh, no, thanks. This has been great. I love, love, love talking about Keyforge. Uh, I, I wish I was better at card names. <laughs> but um, I love playing it and I uh, hope, uh, hope to be back sometime. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, take care, everyone. Bye.